You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Okay, I am starting things off this week, um, and I want to start with a news story. On July 13th, 2017, News broke of an event so momentous, so far-reaching in its implications that even you may have heard of it. A truck driver coming upon a construction site on a highway in Oregon hit his brakes too hard and skidded. And some of his cargo, uh, 13 containers with a combined weight of about 7,500 pounds, tumbled onto the highway. One hit a car, and several oh. of the containers broke open. Oh, no. Yeah. A four-vehicle pileup ensued. Uh, with Not luckily fun. only uh-huh. only one minor injury. That's good. Photographs of the scene, however, made their way around the world I, for I one reason. I think I saw this. I know what this is. Keep going. <laughs> the contents of the spilled containers. Yep. Hagfish. Yes! Oh my gosh. This is not the one I was thinking of, but yeah, oh. I gosh. knew this one. Oh, I'm going to have to take this off my list. Oh, man. (laughs) Now, fish spilled all all over the highway is pretty unusual, but it's not, like, that extraordinary. This was horrifying. are very special. Uh, They're an unattractive unattractive kind of pinky-gray color, and they look a lot like an eel, being kind of long and snaky with a flattened tail. But here I will quote the great Dr. Milton Love, author of Certainly More Than You Want to Know About the Fishes of the Pacific Coast. (laughs) (laughs) I love the easiest way to tell the difference between a hagfish and an eel. I quote, Look at the hand holding the fish. Is it completely (laughs) covered in slime? Then it's a hagfish. Unquote. (laughs) There's some really cool science going on with. Uh, you're going to talk about it, I'm sure, about fish slime. Yes, can I ask about the accident? Were these live fish? Or were oh, they yes, like they, were live? they were. They were live. Okay. They were squirming oh, across the whole thing. Uh, There's so, so much slime. Hagfish, when they're stressed, that threatened, or feeding, produce truly astounding quantities of a very thick, mucousy slime. Or I'm going to guess in a car accident. Yeah, thus right. they were stressed out in the car accident. And all the cars and the road involved in this accident were covered not only in the fish, but in copious amounts of slime. The pictures oh, truly so are gross. amazing. <laughs> I'm just so wow. ecstatic right now. <laughs> I'm happy for you, Rachel. Uh, so, so other than not an eel, what is a hagfish? Not that much is known about them, but what is known is very strange. I'm only going to have time to touch on some of this stuff. I'm skipping some entirely strange things. It is a fish, but it's a very strange one. They are part of the group of jawless fishes, along with lampreys. It is a vertebrate, but it has no actual backbone. If you remember any of this stuff from, like, ninth grade biology, there's, like, 
a few vertebrates that don't actually have a backbone. It has a, a notochord and ah. some sort of cartilage sort of protovertebrae. Okay. Oh, that does ring a bell, yep. yep. It has a skull made of cartilage, and these are in fact the only known animals with a skull but without a backbone. Huh. Fun. Yeah. They are mainly scavengers, but as noted, they have no jaws and therefore no teeth. They have this, uh, it's a, pl- a cartilage plate in their mouth with kind of raspy tooth-like projections on it, and they use it that to... That sounds lovely. Yeah, it's they're horrifying. really not attractive awesome. animals. They have these little um, sort of tentacly things around their mouth, too. It's kind of I just, I just wish I just wish everyone could see, like, all the hand gestures and <laughs> facial contortions you're doing right now to try to explain this that aren't coming through. Yeah, it's really uh, helpful on a podcast. Yeah. Tentacle face. Yeah, tentacle face. So they use that those uh, the plate to scrape their food. And weirdly, unlike us vertebrates whose mouths open up and down, their mouths open side to right. side. Right. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Also, this is super weird. They can absorb nutrients through their skin actually more efficiently than they absorb them through their gut. So they could just go hang out inside a fish carcass, for example. So and more efficiently. That's what Wikipedia told me. Oh, okay. They never lie. Yeah. Wow. I can verify that. I've heard of that. Uh, I've listened to a podcast that had a person who literally all they did was study uh, hagfish, and they also said that. So, yeah. So, it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Their skin is very loose and uh, flaccid, if I may use a word. Oh, I no. mean, you can use that word, but can we don't use a different word. I did use that word. Uh, and it's only actually attached to their flesh along the center of their back and at the oh. slime glands, which run along the sides of their bodies. I don't like that. So, <laughs> yeah. So if a predator, predator tries to bite them, I mean, something sure. else happens later. But first, they, if they like get a grip on the skin, the, the flesh of their body actually kind of squishes out of the way. And right. then when they're attacked, the hagfish, of course, release their slime, right. which is pretty amazing at clogging up the mouth and the gills of the attacker. So they have to let oh. go or be suffocated. Yep. Oh, yeah. Their slime awesome. is so amazing that it can actually affect the hagfish's own gills. Huh. And so to, to de-slime themselves, the hagfish ties itself into an overhand knot and then runs the knot down the length of its body to squeegee off the slime. <laughs> there are awesome. also videos of this on YouTube. It's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> um, so we want to talk more about the slime, obviously. Yes. It is really a very unusual substance. It consists of mucus and protein threads. And the threads will spread out quickly in this tangled mass, which traps the mucus and then water, because they live in the water, obviously. Okay. And it's it expands hugely. A hagfish can slime an entire five-gallon bucket of water quite easily. But a hagfish excreting just 40 milligrams of this mucus protein mixture can create a liter of slime. That's how much. Wow. Yeah. So 40 milligrams, not very much. And this the slime is very soft, Jello is at least 10,000 times stiffer than hagfish slime. Oh, wow. Think cool. about that. 
And if you if you have a bucket with a hagfish and the slime, it just looks like water until you try to pick it up when you realize that it's definitely not all just slime. Water. Okay. <laughs> so it'll cl- you can slime, lift a handful of it out of a bucket. Sorry, what was that, Rachel? All slime all the time. All slime all the time. Unlike snot, which it otherwise very much resembles, ah. it is not sure. sticky. So you can easily just like wipe it off your hand and drop it in another bucket. Cool. Okay, interesting. Um, and these protein slan- strands in the slime are really amazing. They're thinner than a human hair and stronger than nylon and quite flexible. And so hagfish slime is actually a hot topic in materials science research. Right, I bet. Yeah, they're, they're looking at it as for different possible applications, including different types of fabric and possibly even body armor. Oh, yeah. Wow. In addition, hagfish have other uses to the human. If you're wondering why that truck was carrying so many barrels of hagfish to begin with, they are considered a delicacy in South Korea. Oh. Yeah. And if you've ever uh, heard of or used an eel skin, quote unquote, bag or wallet, apparently this is a thing. That eel is actually Uh a hagfish. Right. Yeah. Another name for them is slime eel, appropriately. That's fair. Although inaccurately. Right. Uh, That's... About all I have, if you want to learn more about hagfish and their slime, I highly commend Ed Young's wonderful 2018 article in The Atlantic entitled, No One is Prepared for Hagfish Slime. No, no, they aren't. <laughs> I love hagfish. This is great. I love this. Thank you, Victoria. That has become very obvious to us during this podcast <laughs> recording, Rachel. Yep. <laughs> and when we get back from the break, it's going to be Kirk. Kirk here with a quick note. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. It helps other lovers of The Strange find our show. You can also find and follow us on social media. Search for Strange by Nature Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or come visit us at strangebynaturepodcast.com. We'll see you there. Now, back to the show. So we are back, and... I want to, you know, last week I talked about this amazing planet we live on. And I, I, it was fun to think about some of the, the extremes of like weather and things. Uh, you know, it's, it's it, it, we, our planet is a pretty familiar place, but it can sometimes feel almost like an alien world when we hear about some of the extremes. Uh, extreme places, extreme animals, extreme plants, extreme weather, things like that. Uh, so... I thought it'd be kind of fun this week, as, as to kind of contrast with the extremes I talked about last uh, week, I have more extremes for dun, everybody. Dun, dun. Yes. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I thought it'd be fun to go off-planet and talk about some Ooh. off-planet extremes. So we're going to start off here in our solar system close to the sun, and we're going to look at Mercury. So Mercury is the closest planet to our sun. It can reach temperatures of 800 degrees Fahrenheit uh, when you're in the sun on Mercury. Uh, In the, you know, the backside away from the sun, uh, it's going to get up to, well, get down to, I should say, negative 290 degrees Fahrenheit. That's quite a temperature swing there, Kirk. That is a swing. So that's 450 centigrade in the sun and uh, negative 180 centigrade at night for our centigrade uh, uh, obliging populace listening. Well, so that is a 
1,090 degree swing uh, in Fahrenheit or in centigrade a 630 degree swing. This is the largest surface temperature range of any planet in our solar system. And, you know, I thought it was a big deal a couple weeks back when we had like a 40 degree swing in one day here at home. But right. uh, 1,090 degrees kind of uh, <laughs> puts it in perspective. Puts that a bit to shame. Yeah. Well, doesn't uh, Mercury, uh, isn't its uh, rotation of the day slow enough that it doesn't, it circles the sun before it finishes the rotation around? day yeah it's it's a little complicated i mean it's you'll find some stuff online that says that mercury is tidally locked to the sun's the same side always faces the uh the sun and it's it's not it's a little more complicated than that but um basically the the hot sides it is mostly you know in the sun and then there's a side that's mostly in the uh in the shade for uh, most of its time, I believe. Okay. Uh, but it, it's it's definitely not, you know, uh, spinning around day, night, day, night, day, night kind of thing. Got it. So we're not talking about a temperature extreme in the same spot in the course of a day. It's from one side of the planet to the other. Right. So I guess, you know, we talked last week, we do have a bit of an extreme on Earth from the high and low temperature we saw, but still nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Now, 800 Fahrenheit uh, seems hot, but it's not the hottest uh, the surface of Venus actually gets a little bit hotter, even though it's further from the sun, because of like sort of the greenhouse effect that's going on on Venus. It can get up to 880 degrees Fahrenheit or 470 mm. C. Uh, but there are even hotter places, uh, but just not necessarily on a surface of a planet because there's only so many of the rocky planets. Uh, but when you start going into the cores of some of like the gas giants like Jupiter, right? Uh, <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> the core of Jupiter is thought to be hotter than the surface of the sun <laughs> due to the enormous pressures that are there. Uh, Jupiter's core is 43,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I have no My concept mind for that doesn't number. really compute no, that. No, it doesn't. I'll, I'll give it in Celsius, but that won't help. It's 24,000 <laughs> Celsius. Uh, giving the numbers in both units of measure becomes meaningless because they're both so large and we we have no frame of reference for them i can't really even talk about things that might be a frame of reference like a melting point or something like that because if you look at the highest melting point um, element we know of is tungsten it has a melting point of 3414 centigrade or 6177 fahrenheit but that is cold like ice cold compared to the core of jupiter so (laughs) Again, it doesn't really help us. Uh, So I talked earlier about how on Mercury you had a big temperature swing, but that was a swing from the different temperatures on the surface. There's obviously a much larger temperature variant on Jupiter, uh, but it's not like a surface temperature Mm -hmm. because it's all just clouds. So when you look at the upper cloud layers of Jupiter, uh, you're talking about negative uh, 145 Celsius or 234 negative uh, Fahrenheit. So that is the largest temperature range in our solar system you find on Jupiter. Now, temperature is interesting, but let's look at some other weird stuff. I want to talk about the really weird stuff here. Let's go. Uh, we're, used, we're used to the rain here on Earth. Right. And sure, like a cold rain might ruin your picnic. But imagine if it wasn't raining water, but it was raining 
sulfuric acid. Well, that would really ruin your picnic. <laughs> yeah, that's going to ruin your picnic. It rains sulfuric acid on Venus. Of course, of course it does. It does. <laughs> of course it does, yes. Now, I will say, though, it's not going to ruin your picnic. It's not guaranteed not to ruin your picnic because, keep in mind, surface temperature can be 880 degrees Fahrenheit. So the sulfuric rain that's falling down evaporates long before it gets to the surface. So you don't need to worry about that. Uh, you, if you're descending to the surface, you got to go through the sulfuric rain. Uh, but, you know, the 880 degrees Fahrenheit and the atmosphere that's mostly carbon dioxide is going to probably be a bigger problem for your picnic. I think yeah, the chocolate icing on your cookies is going to melt it by then, probably. Might yeah, a little bit. Yeah. If you can so get it sulfuric... through your spacesuit. Space right. The sulfuric rain stops at about 25 kilometers up. Uh, is where it gets hot enough that it's uh, it's going to evaporate. So that that is uh, you know kind of a bummer for your picnic. A little bit. Um, now this might cheer you up a little bit um, after your bummer trip to Venus. How about we saunter on over to Neptune? Uh, Neptune is one of the gas giants, uh, and the atmosphere is mostly hydrogen, but there's a lot of methane, and it tends to get concentrated at the equator, huh. and then it starts to descend. Uh, into these hotter, lower levels of the atmosphere, and it gets compressed. And scientists have shown if you compress methane enough, it turns into diamonds. Ooh! <laughs> cool! Those, and, and the pressures, uh, we believe, are sufficient, and the temperatures uh, in Neptune's atmosphere, also in uh, uh, Uranus or Uranus as well, it could literally rain diamonds. As they precipitate <laughs> out, they get heavy, and they sink down, you know, to the core. So right now, it is probably raining diamonds. Uh, I'll just go with Neptune in this example. Um, so, yeah, that's, there's, there's a diamond rain. Uh, I mean, that'd be fun. It yeah, would hurt. Some, right. Uh, this may actually be kind of common in the universe when you think about it, how many gas giant planets there are that probably have methane in their atmospheres. Mm -hmm. you know, diamond rain is probably like a very common thing in the universe. Uh, things are, um, you know, pretty like we think of diamonds as being kind of rare on earth. That's only because the conditions to make them are not common, mm. right? So if the yeah. conditions to make them are common, they're going to be super common. Some scientists have actually speculated that there could be planets that are made entirely of diamonds. So that episode or... of Dr. Who wasn't that far fetched. Right, there you go. Or at what least they could have like a that was. Uh, yeah, they could at least have like a diamond crust, which is pretty wild. Um, but again, I don't think these are places you necessarily want to visit because mm -hmm. the conditions that are appropriate to make those things would also make it inhospitable to humans. So um, uh, there is an exoplanet 55 Cancri E, uh, which is about 40 light years away, and scientists do believe it might be one of these diamond encrusted planets based on some of the, the data we've gotten back. So thinking about, you know, an abundance of elements that might be rare on Earth that could be common elsewhere, uh, astronomers also think they have detected the conditions right for atmospheres on exoplanets that would rain rubies hmm. or atmospheres that could rain sapphires as well. That's so, so cool. That is really it's, cool. It's really cool. Certainly none of these places are... Uh, you know, would be pleasant places we would want to visit unless we're with the doctor, I guess. Um, but it, when it comes to other planets, they are certainly places that are strange by nature. Oh. There Name we drop. go. We got the podcast title in. Uh, we're going to go to a break 
And when we come back, Rachel has something special for us. All right, we're back. And this week, I'm going to bring us back down to earth. More or less, like we're, st- <laughs> we might be flying around a little bit. Okay. So I'm okay. going to be talking about. We're still on the planet. We're I still on the flying. planet. Yes. Uh, Lanius Ludovicianus is mm. the animal I'm talking about today. So the name, okay. the common name refers to the large head to body ratio of this bird. I'm talking about the loggerhead shrike today. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Now, this is Love a... Love the loggerhead shrike. It's so good. Um, we have... So, this is a perching or also known as a... It's a passerine bird. So, it's a perching or a song bird type bird in that category. It was first described in 1760 by Matherin Jacques Bresson. It is a medium-sized songbird. <laughs> I practiced. <laughs> um, about eight to nine inches long. Uh, and the wingspan is anywhere from a little bit under 11 to 12.6 inches wide. Uh-huh. Uh, average weight is about 50 grams. Uh, to describe this bird, it's gray on the back of the head down through the back to the tail. Um, the tail is white, mostly with some black edging. It has like a black Zorro mask over its eyes that leads to a very black bill that's hooked at the end. Um, and it, so its top bill is longer than the bottom and this helps tear into its prey. This bird, uh, what makes it strange is its diet and we're going to get into that. Um, I really also want to tell you what its uh, alarm call is, because it oh. sounds like uh, "scra ah ah" kind of shriek. I wanted to just shriek into your ears. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> so the loggerhead shrike is overall found throughout southern Canada, USA, and Mexico in open habitat like grasslands or pastures, especially with red cedar. Uh, populations have declined since the 1960s, uh, and there are about seven recognized subspecies of loggerhead shrike, um, and four of those exist in California. Wow. Right? So, like I said earlier, what's really strange about the loggerhead shrike is its eating habits, and this is when I tell you what the other name for this bird is. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's also known as the butcher bird. Nice. <laughs> so this is going to get a little bit graphic. So this is a carnivorous oh, that, bird. Yeah, that never happens the, on this show. Never. <laughs> <laughs> so the, this is a carnivorous bird. It's not an actual bird of prey because its talons are much smaller and very weak uh, compared to raptors uh, and what one of the categories of a bird of prey. Um, They're also more of a sit-and-wait hunter that perch about 13 feet high, and they stalk their prey, which I find terrifying. I've I've usually seen 
uh, them or the around here we more commonly see the northern shrike. Right. I uh, usually see them on like telephone wires. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the one of their pr- favorite places to hang out. Yeah, and they mostly eat insects, uh, like red right in the air, but they will also eat arachnids, reptiles, amphibians, rodents, bats, and smaller birds. So their weight, the weight range that they can eat is anywhere from 0. 0.00 grams to 25 grams, which is half of their body weight. <laughs> wow. Um, they are frequently observed killing prey that is larger than themselves. Um, and what they do is they're s- sitting up in that tree, they're stalking, they're looking for a good prey, just seeing, and they see one. They see a mouse. So they fly, grab this this animal by the neck, and spear it on a thorn or a barbed wire, a very sharp stick, right through the neck or head. Both giving the prey whiplash and piercing through its vertebra and its back and its neck. Oh, what a way to go. Just... You get picked up by a bird, and then you just get dropped on a spear. That sounds horrifying. It's better than Uh, being paralyzed and consumed from within by an insect larva, so. That's true. I mean, if that's our standard, (laughs) that's a really low bar. (laughs) I actually Um, uh, came upon a a Shrike's... (laughs) cached mouse mm-hmm. once on a tree it was pretty amazing i was like oh my gosh it's a shrike's play i would yeah, love well, to find them i've seen it once maybe twice and it's when you all of a sudden see it, you're like wait what there's like a mouse a stuck mouse on this stick stuck on a branch yeah <laughs> like what's going on yeah so they will use that uh stick or sharp object of sorts to store the food for later if it's too much. Uh, and they use that as an anchor because they can't tear with their talons, so they'll tear off pieces with their beak to eat, and they'll oh, use it sense. to sta- uh, to um, anchor themselves so they can pull. Because um, their neck and their beak is very strong, actually. They have a really strong beak. Um, with smaller prey that is not maybe a mouse, uh, maybe something smaller, maybe even uh, a snake, because they've been known to even go after uh, adders in some areas. Mm. Um, wow. They will use their beak, their really strong beak, and they will um, swoop down and cut the small vertebra in the neck of that prey. So they will use their beak to slice through the skin and bone and spinal cord. Pleasant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely pleasant. And if they find another bird that might be maybe found something and was about to enjoy their food, they're a bit of a kleptomaniac and will go and steal your food. <laughs> so I mean, hey, free food, like might as well, right? Like, yeah, hey, don't that's, have that's to hard to come by. Don't have to kill this, saving energy. Um yeah, so that's what I have for you both today is the the bitch, butcher bird. Uh, the what? The butcher bird. Yeah, okay. 
like you said something else. Uh, I just want to clarify. <laughs> no, no, no. The butcher, butcher bird. Butcher. Butcher. Yeah, let's keep it there. Loggerhead uh, Shrike. Also known as the Loggerhead Shrike. Horrifying. Thanks, Rachel. Oh, they are majestic and beautiful. They are beautiful. They kind of remind me of a larger chickadee in their shape. A little bit. Okay. That's all for this week, folks. See you next week. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. They are making their way the only way they know how. <laughs> That's like a terrible Dukes of Hazard reference. We're just going to take that right out. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. You can use this as an outtake yep. if you want to. It's raining yep. diamonds in Uranus. <laughs> yep. And with that, That's I actually terrible. need I to it. go to the bathroom really badly.